0: Hello, this is Arun, the co-producer and narrator of the podcast you're just about to listen to. Thanks so much for choosing to listen to our podcast. This podcast is made with immersive audio, so get your headphones out and connect it to your device, or if you're listening to it on a great home stereo with a Bluetooth connection or a home theater system, or in the comfort of your car for that amazing immersive audio experience, we hope you like it. This is a Scrap Studio production and we at Scraps are an organization whose primary focus is to disseminate factful stories of science, scientists and innovation as a service to the world. We take pride in bringing you the stories of people in science and history of science. If you like this series, please do search for our other podcast from Scrap Studio. The podcast is titled Scraps with a K. It's S-K-R-A-P-S, which is an interview-based podcast series focusing on many topics with expert scientists and innovators on a variety of topics like biomedical engineering, cardiac biology, medtech, tech, climate change, psychopathy, human composting, material science, artificial intelligence, venture capital, and many more. We don't just talk about the subjects We talk about the stories of the very scientists who work on these areas. If you like our work, please share it with your friends, family and acquaintances. And please talk about it over coffee, drinks and on vacation. This is the best help that you can provide us. Hello, this is Psychedelics, bonus episode number three. First, let me introduce myself. I'm Arun, the podcast co-host, And co-producer of the narrative podcast you've just listened to. We hope that you have listened to all the other episodes so far. If you haven't, that's okay. But do make it a point to go back and listen to all of them. It is made with a lot of love from us. But more importantly, lots of research and some cool sound design. In this bonus episode, we're going to talk to one of our friends. A friend who is both an engineer and a neuroscientist. So I must say that he is someone who has a critical mind and also is no slouch to understanding the nature of mind-altering drugs. After all, he has looked at it from a different perspective from most. We wanted to speak to him purely because we wanted to provide you with an understanding of what it means to take a psychedelic substance in a setting that is neither recreational nor in psychotherapy. We wanted to answer the question as to what prompts someone to take a psychedelic substance and revisit some of the questions that we had in the podcast and try to answer them with scientific facts. We wanted to get a personal testimony to see if what we had scripted was right. In complete disclosure to all of you, this interview was probably one of the last ones we did for the podcast and decided to have it as a standalone bonus episode to help you understand the personal perspectives. So first, let's ask our guest about how he arrived at psychedelics. Yeah, so uh, psilocybin um, is the, um, but
1: not actually the synthesized one, but the the real one. Uh, I got exposure to it by my own conviction of trying to dig into that. So I actually I was looking for what is happening to the brain in the moments that you have an illumination moment. And that came to me in a moment that I actually was running and doing uh, an ex- extreme exercise of the mountains and suddenly I was in a, it looked like a field of just, you know, like in a pla- being inside a plasma ball, the one where you put your your hand in it and it just makes like energy uh, streams, plasma streams that you see. But that I, that was in the forest, and that was my perception, just in yellow and purple. And I was like, when I came out of that situation, I said, "What did just happen?" I didn't know what was happening to me. So I was looking into the runner's high, and one article led to another one. I, I was actually just, just running and something happened to me that gave me that uh, perception. And I looked into the runner's high. Was it a runner's high? What was happening to me? And at one point I landed in an article that described the effects of hyperoxygenation, reduced CO2 in your body and how melatonin and serotonin can actually transform into DMT. Because DMT, which is the strongest psychedelic in the body, produced by the pineal gland, is the same molecule as melatonin, but without CO2. So if you actually deplete your body from CO2, in my logic thinking, you you would end up with DMT. And so I think I had a little bit of a DMT rush uh, while running that gave me this uh, psychedelic... Experience And that drove me into reading about
0: psychedelics and trying to find out more about them. Don't you find that amusing? You can always bank on a neuroscientist to give you such a detailed insight. Let's carry on. And DMT brought brought me first to ayahuasca.
1: But I didn't try ayahuasca. I was freaked out by the notion of all the stories and just the notion of losing complete control, vomiting and all the things that you hear about that. And discussing with friends and people that are uh, also, also professionals in, in the field, they were telling me, no, you get stuck in the trip, and that's not a good thing to do. And, and I was thinking, no, th- this cannot be right. It cannot be that so many people, so many cultures have worked into that. And I think the, the mo- there's something fishy about the, the fear perception of this, of this psychedelic experience and what I just had. So maybe if you can dose a little bit more of what I just had to experience it a little bit more. And at that time, I had also this fascination of Zen Buddhism and Kung Fu. I was practicing Kung Fu and Zen meditation, sit in Zen, most of it. And a lot of the wordings used in the literature that tries to explain Buddhism and Zen and, and Kung Fu were somehow related to the way these psychedelic people were describing things. So th- there were a lot of similarities that I, I, didn't, I couldn't really make the link between them, but I knew there was something related in both, in both worlds, realms.
0: So our guest did try psychedelics. But before we go there, should we ask him if there was any resistance and mental block that he had to fight through in his mind? prior to trying psychedelics? Uh, For me, that was a complete
1: uh, black hole. I didn't absolutely know anything about psychedelics. I was educated Catholic and everything, even coming from a region where shamanism is very uh, common, if you look for it, it's actually indeed not part of your normal education. So that was a bad thing to even think about it. I started digging into that, and I came across, uh, yeah, uh, Huxley, *The Doors of Perception*, the book. Uh, I started reading more and and more about it, and I got familiarized with it, but I never dared to try it. But in the meantime, while uh, practicing, you know, all this uh, martial arts, I always wanted to develop the superpowers that these monks have. You know, it's it's amazing what they can do. And it's so frustrating to see that when your body is working on something you cannot get to that because of all this your mechanical preconditioning of your daily life doesn't allow you to do certain movements like the vectorial path of a kung fu punch or it's it's different to the things that you're used to do so um that's that 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 thought and that combination of experiences and the frustrations I was having made me realize that there must be something in this psychedelic experience that allows you to expand, to expand your ability to get more flexibility in thoughts and more... or reduce at least the rigidity of thinking, the rigidity of thought that we have today. So in the same way that I was experiencing that same rigidity in my um, motricity, in my motor skills. So then I I am, uh, yes, I was living in the Netherlands and I was living next to a a head shop uh, and that head shop was selling magic mushrooms. And I entered like 15 times there to actually just ask about them just to ask what it is. I actually I didn't buy. I didn't dare to buy because I thought it cannot be that I'm going to buy magic mushrooms. Um, and yes, exactly window shopping at, in in the Netherlands. And at one point I just did it. I just bought it and said, okay, I've read a, a lot about this. I read actually then the book of Michael Pollan came out. I read all through that. I read through all the literature that came with the book. I found it a fascinating piece of work, putting together the latest research in the neuroscientific advances with post-traumatic stress disorder, with uh, depression. That brought me actually to um, to very deep analysis of what's happening in the brain. And it convinced me that all this fear about getting stuck in a trip, it's just the most unrealistic a perception of what's actually happening during the psychedelic state or actually what can happen after the psychedelic state. is just a temporary experience that links certain brain cells with others together that are not us- usually talking to. And that got me to the conviction that I should actually try the psychedelic mushrooms. And it took me still a year to do it. So when I knew that I was going to do it, I, couldn't decide for myself, when is the moment that I'm going to do it? I actually had no one to guide me, to talk me through that, to say, I've done it, I'll take you with me. Uh, It was a very unique um, or independent
0: discovery. So how did the first experience with psychedelics go? Aren't you curious? Well, so honestly,
1: I was always in absolute fear, you know, of admitting that I was even considering the the ingestion of a psychedelic drug. So even though in society it's accepted that you get stoned drunk and do other things that are no- normal in society, but psychedelic drugs from my education point of view, it was a no-go. It was an absolute no-go. So I didn't really discuss it with anybody. So I actually read all the books, said, okay, you need to have a very good playlist. You need to have a good setting. You need to be in a good mindset. Don't worry. You're not going to jump out of the window. You're going to just be there. And I got these this mushrooms and I ate them a little bit. I didn't dare, dare to eat a lot. So I, I took some and was at home, didn't feel anything. And it was a complete frustration because there was nothing. Honestly, there was really nothing. I was sitting there getting bored, listening to my playlist, absolutely nothing. And then I came and discussed with a friend. I said, okay, what what happened? I mean, I just, um, I did this and, and he said, ah, you know, I know someone that has experience with that. And then I, I got actually into contact with someone that had more experience. Uh, about that, and he said, "No, no, you have to go. Don't don't worry. Take larger doses. You, you, you just took too too little. You probably you will not experience anything like that." And like he said, "But let's go to nature. Let's don't do it inside. Just let's go outside in nature." And then we took the the full pack of the strongest ones that we could buy, and then the transformation happened. So. within i think 15 minutes my body didn't feel like i was in charge of it anymore even though i was fully in control of it it just felt like a disconnection of my of my of my motion i didn't feel the heaviness of my mod- body normally so my brain was feeling light my body was doing everything i wanted in a complete smooth way and because I was in nature, suddenly it was in the winter time. It, everything, you know, in, in Europe, the trees are not very colorful in the winter time, but suddenly I started seeing the beauty around everything that was around me. The trees had old moss, the little animals going around, the little creeks in the, in the trees. The trees were full of expression. And the wind blowing the little branches and everything started to become so alive. And it was an absolute fascination. I could not stop watching it. The, the things, the, the dead trees that look dead, but they were so alive to me. And it was, yeah, that was the first experience
0: with a strong dose. So let's go back to our guest and understand if we tried another classic psychedelic, say, LSD. And if so, what difference is there between LSD and a mushroom experience?
1: Uh, no,
0: I've, I've also tried uh,
1: LSD, but not in an intense way as I've tried mushrooms. Um, and the sensation is completely different. Absolutely. So your body, I didn't feel the, the connect, connection with nature. And the interconnection with things, as I felt it with mushrooms, it was not very focused on on nature, more, I would say, on the electricity in my body. It felt like I was constantly much more electrified inside. I could feel like how my signals were traveling up and down inside me. Yes, there were some colors and there were some um, patterns, but it was not fully... As uh, satisfying as I had it with the mushrooms. So the first experience with mushrooms was only a very uh, you know a colorful one. I was discovering what it was actually to be on a mushroom trip and at the end when the trip wound, uh, winded down I was actually feeling sorry for Mother Earth I really, I was there like sitting on the ground just patting and uh, touching the ground saying I feel so sorry for what, what we're doing to you This is was the deep sorrow for the destruction we're doing to Earth. And I've never had that. I mean, I I feel, rationally, I know that we're doing bad things to the Earth. But I've never felt it from within
0: so intensely. So, apart from the benevolent, empathetic feelings towards the world around us, what else did our guest feel? Are you keen to find out? What he felt and how he described it. We asked him exactly that, and here is his answer.
1: Yes, um I um, I know you've well, okay, have you ever considered the fact okay, what happens to an Alzheimer patient when they when the brain actually deteriorates and rigidifies to the level that you have cardiovascular um, or cerebrovascular stiffness that you have lesions, lesions in the brain. All those considerations related to the deterioration of the brain came together in one of those trips or actually after one of those trips, because I felt like I had just gone to the dentist, you know, when the day after you go to the dentist and you feel your mouth is so, so fresh, so, so free, of load. You, you feel confident. It, it, it feels just super good, like light. But I had the same things on the brain. My thoughts were crisp, clear. I felt confident. I felt uh, I was enjoying everything. I didn't have this preconditioning of this pre-bias of looking at things in a certain way. I was open to a new ways of looking at, at yeah nature, the trees. The, everything was looking like a new experience to me. And I made the association to the sensation of coming from the dentist and immediately that dropped me back to the association to Alzheimer's that you have this peptide uh, formation around your neural cells, around your vascular tissue in the brain that actually, to the extent that communication cannot happen anymore. And that's where I made the link back to the rigidity of movement you know that is in the same way like we don't treat rigidity in a daily base we're very happy with being a little bit stiff and it's okay that you cannot touch the ground anymore the same sensation i felt and frustration with the brain i said this thing enables you to become flexible again in your head it gives you a complete flexibility of thought like if you were doing yoga for your body but for the mind so My neuroscientific, uh, to to go back to to your question, what does my neuroscientist in me tell me, is I think there is a process of cleansing of your brain, the enabling of new connections, of bringing out and cleaning out the old residues of trauma, of injuries of brain, preconditionings that you have are really processed, like you were going with ultrasound, to your brain and the breaking up those connections that were forcefully made by your impacts of, of the past. And I find that uh, a fascinating way of thinking about uh, the process that's happening in your brain, like an ultrasonic shake of, of your brain to open up. Yeah. Uh, the recovery actually to enable new, new ways in it. Of course, when you look at the different uh, scientific papers on the topic and how new connections can be made, the fact that there is uh, yeah, neurotrophic factors released and nerve growth factors, and that you can really create new synapses, new connections, new or maybe even break down all ones that are not working or I don't know what everything can be considered behind it. I think the fact that we're fearing all in or we're educated to fear that you should not touch your brain because you come only with one, one brain at the beginning of your life and that it's, you cannot change whatever you, whatever happens to it
0: afterwards.
1: The discovery of, um, plasticity, I think in the, in the, in the last, uh, when was it actually? A couple of say two, two decades ago, probably when it became very, very popular that it was confirmed that yes, the brain is very plastic. You can actually create new cells, new connections, even at an old age. That enables actually that perception that you can recover your brain, and the psychedelic experience can help you do that. Can help you do that if you know how to target those traumatic
0: experiences from the past, or just to experience it. So how does it feel to undergo a psychedelic experience? And how does one feel about it all afterwards? What impact does it cause on mind, body? And if we were to push it a bit, even the soul?
1: So on the chronic side, um, I can definitely Tell that it helped me it helped me realize and became much more aware about my motivation. My motivation and my reactions. If I have a a reaction to a situation, like I can always look at myself why I'm reacting like that. Like I always have this third view perspective on my own self. That's like a chronic situation that developed from experiencing this that allows me to be more introspective, to, to understand myself better, because I can like, see myself in a better way from another point of view without being very rigid about this is what I want and this is what I should do. You can always like, question my own motivation. And that is, uh, I like it. It's a beautiful thing to, to see that very often I'm pre-biased, by a way of thinking and I see the path to where my bias comes from and I can actually go back to that bias and revisit all the assumptions made under that bias and decide consciously if I want to go back to that conclusion. So it allows that forth and back analysis of why you're concluding this in this moment, whereas in the past I don't think I had that uh, very concrete uh, analysis. Another thing is I returned to places in the past that I actually disliked and I didn't know why I disliked it. I, I was, I, for example, places where my parents uh, currently live or where I used to live for a while in, in a different city in, in Europe. And I didn't feel comfortable going back there for whatever reason. At that moment, I didn't know exactly why it was. You have this frustration, you know, yeah, I don't like it. I don't want to, and it's it's okay. But after one of these very strong trips, I returned to to one of these places. And it's the first place I actually arrived in when I arrived into Europe. And I saw it with completely new eyes, as if I was coming into a completely new place. And suddenly it became beautiful. It became Uh, a beautiful city with beautiful nature. Uh, There was nothing to blame about the, the, the place where it was. And I realized how actually my experience just previously to arriving to that place actually had biased all my thinking about the place that I had landed in. So I actually could not enjoy it because of a traumatic experience. But after realizing why I had that perception on the place because of my bias. I could actually look at it completely fresh and neutral from that experience. So that chronic situation of you you put away the, the painful moments of your life and don't let them bias your thinking of a situation that is, for me, the most powerful experience that comes from with with experience with with mushrooms so the healing part of trauma even you're not conscious about it it happens to you and sometimes you realize it acute experiences is more on the yeah you have superpowers you can see infrared you see that you you know that your visual cortex your your retina is actually perceiving infrared all the time you just don't process it in the visual cortex its it's processed in the endocrine system. It actually, when it sees infrared, it activates certain hormones. And but when you're under this acute experience of having this super combined, super connected brain, you see that actually the infrared that's coming from your own hand, you can practically see the veins underneath very clearly in the, like in an infrared mode. And that is that is fascinating. Also, when you see a bird, for example, passing by you can actually look at the bird flying in slow motion. It's not that it's slow motion, but it's like you perceive all the frames of the bird flying and then you can go into your brain and just split it down in the frames and look at every frame at the time that you want to actually. And uh, I think that's, that's fascinating to, to see. Knowing how it's, what, what happens in your brain, you know, to have these paths that you perceive everything and then you choose what to select out of this image. So all the subconscious becomes conscious, and that is uh,
0: a great acute experience to have. We heard from many people that we know of that psychedelic trips can be both good and bad. It can be downright horrible and scary if one is not prepared. But for a prepared mind, it can help come to terms with the underlying issues. Have you had any experience that you can share with us? Related to trauma, there
1: is a lot of experiences related to that because of processing, for example, my brother's my brother had cancer, and that was a, a very big traumatic situation for me. That you know, and my mom also had a tumor, the killing of my uncle. There's a lot of traumatic moments in my life that actually shaped my my coming to Germany. And I think I got I don't feel the same way about all those things after the psychedelic experience with mushrooms. So the healing process that is described in all the PTSD studies, I think that I can, I can testify on that. Yeah. Yeah. There is transformational moments that really arise with this experiences, even if you don't consciously say, okay, this is what I'm going to do out of that, but just something switches. It switches in your head that allows it um, a similar experience like you have uh, I had with a friend of mine who came they, they even flew in from Munich into my city to, to visit me friends of mine and she was a very a very shy person you know like you could Feel that she had had a some, some part of a traumatic experience in her youth. And, but she even didn't know what, what it was. And she had a horrendous trip. She was, I mean, my friend had a, the, the husband had a super good trip. He was laughing and everything was good. And she was suffering so much. And I took her by the hand and said, okay, you know, just go into that, do some power posing and confront it, confront your fear and because it will amplify whatever you're feeling. So if you go into power posing, it's just the same way that your physiology starts adapting. And at the end, she she came out of that bad situation during her trip. But the person she is from the day after that trip is a complete, well, not different because it's the same person. Everything is the same uh, personality. The only thing that went away is the fear. So she became, she super confident. She started taking all these challenges upon her. Her work started ramping up and new job offers started coming in. It's just because of her mindset, her approach to life that changing this one scary moment that you confront. And it, it, it just somehow it, it cleans up. It opens up the path for you to,
0: to think different about what's coming up ahead of you. So one of the other logical questions that people might actually have is that if it's providing us with such profound experiences, it might even have an addictive appeal. We know that this is not true because the serotonin 2A receptors gets internalized quickly. So the classic issue of tolerance doesn't come up that easily. But can you throw a subjective light on these experiences and why it is not so addictive?
1: I think that is a very clear. Um, I mean, there is no evidence of addiction to any of these psychedelic um, substances. You, all the, on the contrary, actually, they work anti-addictive to other things. So, I understand that you can get like a little bit of a a tendency to want to have that happiness rush that that's that special. Uh, you know, perception in that moment, but it actually also gives you a sense, uh, a respect for it. It also pushes back and it's a, it's a mental pushback. It's even if you had an extreme experience the day before, you don't want to do it for another two months or six months or sometimes even years. I think it's, it it's the self-regulating system that it has beautifully worked itself into, into ourselves. And I I find it admiring. And I hope, I wish that all uh, other substances that people can take, even pharmacokinetic working drugs can use the same kind of learn of that mechanism and use it. It would be fantastic. So the the first is what the experience with it will trigger fearful moments. And I think fear is the one thing that people don't know how to handle, most of the people don't know how to handle, Um, the best way of confronting fear is to face it. And that's something that you can actually practice beforehand with a cold shower. What is the response if you turn your shower cold is you want to run out of it immediately. And it really puts your body into fight or flight response. Your sympathetic activation goes through the roof and you it's all symptoms of fight uh, or flight, sympathetic activation, just with a cold shower. Your amygdala is hyperactive, and it's awful. People hate it, and they don't want to even think about a cold shower. And the only way to f- face that fear, to actually to realize that that's not that bad at all, is walking into it walking into the cold shower, consciously breathing and saying, it's okay, it's doable. And you face it, you put yourself underneath it. And then it shows you that you're actually under control. You're under control of everything. So if you want to experience with psychedelics before, if you don't trust, if you don't have someone that you trust, someone that can guide you and you don't want to, but you're curious about it, Experiment with facing the fear, experiment with cold showers to just realize how it is to face a fear, because the moment that you're confronted with situations that you don't know what's happening to you, you will want to run away. And wanting to run away will activate your sympathetic response during the trip. And that's the last thing you want to do, because psychedelics are amplifiers. It's a microscope to your internal happenings. And... It's a tool that you can use for the good or, f- no, for the bad, you cannot use it actually, but it's a tool that you can use it very good to to process whatever is inside you. But if inside you, it's the sympathetic response of your autonomous nervous system going through the roof, you're going to have a bad experience and that's what people describe as a bad trip. So you want to avoid actually magnifying the sensations of sympathetic activation. To put it in, in more colloquial terms, maybe, you want to actually be relaxed and confront. If a fear comes towards you, you want to confront it. So the idea is to walk towards it. To, if you realize something, if you see that your hand is moving in weird ways, because of the superimposition of your retina moving, over the other things that you're seeing, then you you actually want to, instead of fearing about what's happening to your hand, you actually should accept it. Accept that you're seeing something weird because of a superimposition of layers of information that's going through your brain and your body at the moment. But nothing is happening to you actually in reality, is what is what it is, is your perception of the whole thing. So be prepared to confront your fear and to confront the fears and stay relaxed. That is the, the biggest preparation that I would recommend to anybody that is desiring to, to enter into that state. The other thing is people are fearing to find things that they don't want to find out. That is a a big topic. Uh, they say, no, I better don't go, uh, I'd go that way. Uh, there might be things that I don't want to know, and it's better that way. And I say, um, that is... The fair point and I think there's only when you're ready to work out and work away all your clutter in your head is like you have the attic or a room in your head in your head in your in your house that is full of boxes all boxes all things that you know you actually should throw away or just at least clean out there is moments in time we're ready to clean out your house and there's moments where you don't have the time or energy to open up just one box and then leave it there open halfway through. So be ready to to work out the process throughout and then confront it. And the other thing is the microdosing aspect. A lot of people think, okay, I'll start with microdosing. And coming back to the dentist analogy, I think microdosing and one big full big trip is the same as having had 20 years of not brushing your teeth and then deciding, okay, I'll start brushing my teeth on a daily basis Now today, it will not really do a deep cleaning. It will probably take away the food of the last day, but it will not help you. So if you really want to start clean again and give your brain a little bit of a, a flush, like you do after 20 years of not brushing your teeth, you go to the dentist and let the dentist do the work. That is the big dose of psychedelics. You let it actually process through it. And then you learn how to brush your teeth afterwards, slowly. And you use it on a regular basis. So microdosing, in my opinion, doesn't help if you haven't gone through one big experience of knowing what it means to clean your head. And then if you can start with nature, start in a natural environment that you don't get exposed directly into your... In- retrospective conditions, mental conditions or mental uh, experiences. But see first what is the augmentation that the psychedelics give you on your perception, the superpowers that it gives you from seeing things, the magnifying glass, the microscope or whatever you want to call it. But look at it in the external world. And once you are acquainted to the sensation of experiencing the external world magnified, experience the internal world magnified. So it's a process that I would recommend. Never, ever consider taking a psychedelic drug if you're going on a party. That's the last thing on the planet I would suggest to do if you're doing it for the first time.
0: So now to the most important question. We asked many of our guests that we interviewed for the podcast as to what a definition of a psychedelic is. We could not get one uniform answer. So therefore, we made it a point in our podcast to redefine and reframe the definition of a psychedelic. And we started with that in episode one. We reconstituted, reframed it, and also gave more facts to substantiate the definition that we had in, defi- in episode one. And came back to it in the very last episode, in the introduction part of it, in episode 10. But according to you, what exactly is a psychedelic? Mental
1: flexibility. And to give you control of your decision-making process, just like you control your hand to grab a glass of water if you want to, or if you put it in context, for example, a Parkinson's patient that cannot actually guide their movements because they have lot, lost motor cortex uh, control of their motor skills. Reattaining that mental control over your thinking without all the preconditioning, psychedelics are the tool to work on that. It's your mental yoga, daily mental yoga, maybe a, an extreme session of that. And. If you know how to use them, if you you learn how to use them by experience as well, I and mean, if you go to yoga, it's the first time you're also feeling weird about it. And with time, you, you learn to understand why certain stretches are good for you. The same thing happens with psychedelics, but for your mind. And it really enables you a different way of looking at the world far out from the preconceptions that were given by our societal constructs.
0: We hope that you really enjoyed listening to both the main podcast series as well as the bonus episodes. This, as we said, is a product of love and a lot of research. Scraps is a volunteer-run organization whose mission is to disseminate factful stories of science, scientists, innovators, and innovations. So if you think this was great, Please send us some feedback, tag us on social media, and let us know how we did. And more importantly, refer this podcast to other people that you know of, friends, acquaintances, and many others. This is the only tonic that we have. And also, make it a point to listen to our podcast scraps. Until next time, good night and good luck.